VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to The Ruck, I'm Owen Slot, and delighted to welcome you to a special futuristic version of the podcast where we are given a unique glimpse of the future. Where will the game be in 20 years' time? How long will the tackle stand until it is banned? When will club rugby usurp the international game? In 20 years' time, will Italy still be coming last and will Eddie Jones still be scaring the life out of Rhys Patchell? The reason we know the answers to such matters is not because tried-and-tested, much-loved ruck regular Alan Dimmock is with us. Hello, Al. Hello. But because we finally managed to secure an audience with Observer, writer and co-founder of Sport 500 website, Mike Aylwin, also known as Rugby's Captain Clairvoyant. <laughs> Hi, Mike. How are you going? I'm very well, thanks, Slotty. If all this sounds preposterously baffling, please hang on in there. It will become clear. This is also the day after the end of week two of the Six Nations, and there is quite a lot to look back on too. So, Saturday I was at Twickenham. Al, where was your weekend? I was in, I was in Dublin for Ireland versus Italy. And Mike, where were you? Uh, I have just touched down from Edinburgh. So with seamless organisation and administration, the Ruck has got every single game covered. Player of the weekend. I didn't put that on your uh, homework, you didn't, did, did you? I? I've got a team of the weekend, like you asked. I thought it was uh, Owen Farrell by just stand out by a mile. But, um, yeah. I thought Owen Farrell was fantastic. I think Joel Launchbury got pretty close. Well, I will, being boring, uh, focusing on the same game and indeed team, go for Mike Brown. And was it a try? Okay. Ooh, right. The, 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 this is, we'll, we'll just get, let's just get straight onto it. Was that a try? Did Gareth Anscombe touch it down? If you look at the response in the media since then, uh, largely directed by Warren Gatland, this is the biggest scandal of all time. It's, it, 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 it's, it's getting close to you, you're being brave if you put your head above the parapet and say, oh, I'm not sure, actually. It's not the biggest scandal of all time. I mean, that's a laughable suggestion. I, I mean, I, if I'm sure Warren Gatland's not really saying that. But do you think there's... Is, there, is, is, there a, uh, is it black and white, or do you think there's some grey area? Uh, I think it looks as if it probably was a try and that's because of the photograph that has since materialised where it does look even though we have to be careful about these freeze frame pictures it does look as if he's got two fingertips on the side of the ball it's not even on the top of the ball it's on the side of the ball but it is on the upper side and if there's any traction in his fingertips it's quite possible he's got downward pressure but to expect the TMO, to, well he didn't see that photograph and from the the first question was asked which means is it a try, yes or no? The onus's proof, onus of proof is on the attacking team. What do you think, Al? Glenn Newman is having a hell of a day already today, the TMO who made the decision. Because if you look at freeze-frame images or slow-mo slow pictures from it down, you could say, right, 
it looks like there was a kind of downward pressure there, but oh, actually, was there a fingertip? From, well, uh, yeah. I mean, a knock on from All there. Is that maybe what the top? I mean, it's desperate. It's so I mean, tenuous. Mike, if we were, if this was the year twenty one forty four, then we would have all the technology. <laughs> they would know yeah, because there would be pressure pads underneath the pitches, and they'd know exactly uh, what downward pressure, if any, was existing. Yeah, what a rubbish world we live in, where we haven't got that stuff. There'll be pressure pads in the ball as well. The TMO would be three D as well. Uh, You'd be yeah. able to get the full 360 yeah. of, of the, and underneath well, the Well, we could, I mean, you know, all we need is some jazzed up version of uh, Hawkeye and that would solve all these problems. Jesus, Mike, why why aren't you in charge? The onus of responsibility is probably the bigger talking point here is that Glenn Newman, will, will, we're unlikely to see him again for his nation purely because of the furore around this whole decision. We're unlikely to probably, he'll have responsibilities taken off him because the decisions are made... Well, it'd be interesting to see if he had other games lined up and if yeah. those are taken he's, away. He's not due again on this Six Nations, no, I don't so believe. I don't think but if you, if you rewind to the World Cup when Craig Joubert was the villain-in-chief for um, basically whistling Scotland out of the World Cup, Al, you won't disagree with me on that. The, um, <laughs> <laughs> he was... The, I mean, amongst the media, he was the man everyone wanted to, to, to see or get a picture of or, or have him skulking out of Heathrow Airport with a full moustache and a, and a baseball cap uh, pulled over his face. But no one even knows what Glenn Newman looks like. I mean, he's he's just this fictional rugby villain now. Well, the thing is, is it was it was hasty is probably a word you could use to say the decisions made. Would he have come to a different conclusion had he at pains gone over it for three minutes? Who knows? It has to be clear and obvious though for the first question. Well, in fact, the second question has to be clear and obvious as well. But for the second question, it has to be clear and obvious proof that a try wasn't scored. And if the second question had been asked. They probably would have awarded it, but the first question was asked, which means they have to prove that there was downward pressure. And from the angles he had, I think there were two angles. Uh, I didn't think it was obvious. What do, you, uh, what do we think, Glenn Newman, um, is in his past? I mean, is is you know is is he actually, is, is it Mother English? Is is there is there a Granny Gate thing involved in Are you suggesting that there's scurrilous? No, I'm not. I'm just I'm just playing with the idea of, of this. Ne- Faceless, this faceless man who's dominated well, that's the whole the conversation. Of this TMO now, and, and I, so I think it's probably just as well he is faceless, and it's a shame that referees can't be faceless. They will be in the twenty-second century, by the way. Uh, rugby will be refereed by computer. Okay, listen on that bombshell. <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I don't know how to move beyond this. I, I promise anyone who's still listening this day, we will explain why why this conversation is going that way um, before before you're done. Can we uh, can but, we talk about well, something else actually here? Is that, can we talk about the the try? saving tackle from Sam Underhill I mean I know we're excited about this but in even more exciting we have Ben Kay on the line um, who is a, a newcomer to this podcast Ben great to have you on the podcast today. now we've had uh, two weekends of the Six Nations how do you see the uh, the balance of power at the moment I think you'd probably say that um, Ireland are just shading it in terms of being favourite but it's very difficult to predict with, with those two Italian games because you'd have expected it to Italy not to be able to put together as uh, strong a showing away from home. Uh, Ireland looked very free flying. I think that's the key about the Six Nations. It's about getting the momentum. England haven't quite got that momentum off the back of their performance uh, this weekend. Um, but, you know, it's very close between those two. But England have some pretty tough games coming up, having to go away to France and, and to Scotland. Um, but we're, we're, I think we're all hoping that it might come down to a decider on the last day at, at Twickenham between England and Ireland. Well, it's looking increasingly like that, don't you think? You just can never be 100% sure. You know, that rugby's a funny game where 
you can get those shock results and, and you know Scotland will be trying to direct the style of game next time out to, to play into their favour into their favour and I think England will be doing absolutely everything they can to ensure that it's, it's not the style of game that Scotland wants Ben this is Alan Dimmock who's got a far more intelligent question for you than I have <laughs> well uh, hi Ben how are you England this week are training with Georgia uh, over yeah. Tuesday and Wednesday Eddie Jones has talked about how he thinks that they're one of the biggest strongest ugliest scrum packs um, in the world uh, do you think that that says much about how England intend to play against Scotland or is this just one of those things where you think the opportunity came up and they jumped at it probably a little bit of both I think England will want to make it uh, a, a very physical uh, game and, and particularly around the scrum they'll, they'll want to in the sort of training that you probably can't do against each other, uh, even live with with the squads that you have. So just having that um, different styles and uh, you know just test you. And the thing that Eddie Jones has always done is take his players out of the comfort zone. And you know, to be honest, if you ask any of the players uh, without Eddie there, I'd probably say the last thing they feel like doing is training against Georgia this week. But that's what he does, you know. And, and it's that old adage of train hard, fight easy, make what you do in training harder than what you're going to face on the pitch and um, you know it, it'll all seem easy on, on match day so I think it's very uh, very wise of Eddie and uh, and it just keeps you know one of the big sort of criticisms maybe of England in, in 2015 was that everything had become a bit samey and you know they were at Penny Hill all the time Eddie's moved them around different venues uh, and he's brought in various different teams to train against and it means you, you never settle into that comfort zone of uh, the same old, same old, and, and every time you turn up to an England training session, it's going to be different. Eddie's week was was characterised by his uh, um, comments on um, uh, Rhys Patchell and Alan Jones, and I just wonder what your, your view on that is, having been on both sides of the, the media and as a, as a player. Do, do you did you find that uh, just just part of the way that thing rolls at the moment, part of the entertainment, if you like? Some people think it's entertaining, or or, or do you, did you find do you find that there's there is a limit that he may have overstepped. I, I, I think we know enough about Eddie Jones now to know that he, he doesn't really care what uh, <laughs> we, the media, think of how he's doing it. But I, I think it all is calculated. Um, he spoke to uh, Ali Eakin when he first got the job um, uh, in an interview and, and said, it's partly the entertainment value. I'm trying, you know, it's a bit like boxing. I'm trying to generate as much interest around the sport. But equally, he said more than anything to his own players, it's the messages that get back to his own players. And he, he highlighted the fact that actually most rugby players, particularly around the Six Nations, probably don't read any media. But just those messages that might get back through friends or family, um, you know, it's more more his own players that he's worried about than anyone else. He doesn't care about anyone else at all. I, I would have liked him to have uh, at least not acknowledged it after the game and, and sort of said something about Rhys Patchell and stuck up for him a little bit. I don't think Patchell had a great game, um, but it would have been nice if Eddie maybe had stuck up for him. But he doesn't care. He, all he wants to do is, is win for England, um, and he's been pretty successful at that so far. I just as, as a former player, what impact does that sort of thing happen to? Uh, what does it make on the players themselves? I mean, in many ways, you could argue that what Eddie Jones is doing is cranking up the pressure on his own team because he's almost saying beforehand, this is what we're going to do, and I'm over to the players now. I think in some respects he is and he doesn't mind cranking up pressure on his own players and seeing how they react and he just likes to throw a few hand grenades doesn't he but but equally what Eddie's very very good at which reduces the pressure on his own players is controlling the agenda of press conferences he comes in and talks about what he wants to talk about and, and for any of 
you know, Martin Bayfield before the Italy game, he had to have about 100 questions ready because Eddie will only answer the questions he wants to answer. So <laughs> he'll give you a one-worder and then he'll find one that he can say what he wants to say and he'll open up on that question. So he he's just he wants to be in total control of, of the messages he's getting out there. From a player's perspective, you know, Clive and Eddie obviously used to have a, a fair few uh, battles in the press. And if you speak to Clive, he said they were really good mates, but it, it was almost fun. They were having a bit of banter with each other and throwing in these hand grenades and the press had all run with it. Um, we didn't really, as I said, players don't tend to take that much notice of the media. Uh, and actually, it was only when five came into the, the team room and said, you'll never guess what Eddie Jones <laughs> has been saying about us. Uh, and that was just used as motivation to wind us up. So... Um, Everything that he does, I think, is calculated. Um, and the fact that we're all talking about it now uh, probably shows that he, he knows exactly what he's doing. And, and uh, as I said, it, it's working. England are winning. Um, I noticed that the Irish press are uh, a, a little bit upset this week about uh, Joe Schmidt maybe uh, not being as open as, it, as he has been in the past. So maybe it's a new trend in coaching. Or, or maybe us media just getting our knickers in a twist about what people should say or what we deserve to hear. Um, that's one, one opinion that I, that I have as well, actually. Um, ben, if you could read Eddie Jones, which you can't, if you could predict what he's going to do next, which you can't, you'd say, well, he um, he called out Rhys Patchell and, and quite arguably got under his skin. He certainly a, a, achieved what, um, what he hoped. So you would say, well, therefore, uh, England-Scotland, Finn Russell is a player who has no form at the moment, it would appear. It is the is the obvious target? Do, do you, would you would, would you expect him to do that? No, you wouldn't because he doesn't do the expected. But uh, yeah, exactly. You, you can't read it, but I'd probably expect him to go the other way and talk up what a great player Finn Russell is. <laughs> um, uh, you know, say oh, it's just a, just a blip, and he expects him to be the match winner this weekend and put pressure on him that way. <laughs> Ben, for the rest of the championship, Scotland win a game. The Scotland media immediately afterwards are asking Gregor Townsend, "Does that mean that we can win the Six Nations? Do you see a do you see a possibility of a of Scotland or Wales creating some damage still?" Uh, Wales might quietly go about it. I mean, it, there is very much the potential uh, that anyone could lose a game, so it could come down to who's put in the, the best performances and, and who gets the most number of match points and um, actual uh, scored points as well to, to who wins it. Uh, I think Scotland will struggle. And the only reason that I've said that all along, just because of the fixture list this year, you, you look at where they've got to go and, and the teams that they've got at home, um, you know, I, I just thought that Scotland might. But having said that, they, they turned, the, turned the game around yesterday, came out with the victory. I thought that might be one that they lose. Um, just with that huge uh, French pack, it nearly was the case. But um, yeah, they will be much more confident now. But I just think that the fixture list for Scotland has been particularly hard this year. And I think if they do win the Six Nations, it will be a, a, an enormous achievement just with, with how that pans out. Because it does make a difference where you have the games against the best teams. Mm-hmm. Ben, brilliant. Listen, thanks for coming on. You did the England game at Twickenham on Saturday, and then and then you're so much in, in love with your art that you went and covered the uh, the Harlequins Wasp game over the road wow. yesterday. Don't, don't forget Bath on Friday night as well. I love rugby. And the Bath. <laughs> can I stop okay. talking about rugby now, please? Okay, you can. Listen, Thank thanks you. for coming on. Great to talk to <laughs> you. All right. Good okay, so so okay, so Ben says that players don't care what we write. I, I mean, I I don't. I'm not prepared to acknowledge that we're as insignificant as that. Um, uh, anyway, moving back to Sam Underhill. 
Well, I just think it's worth talking about because it's, it's a positive thing, no matter which side you support to talk about. Incredible tackles and incredible tackle, and there's so many moving parts of it. Literally moving parts. Is if Scott Williams had dived a little bit later, or if he passed, if um, Sam Underhill had been a half a beat later or too early, if either of them had gone higher or lower in their jump, we'd have been talking about a try. But Sam Underhill has managed to pull out an incredible try-saving tackle. And I just think that's one of the positive things from that game that's worth us talking about. What I love about it is the kind of improvised nature of the tackle. I mean, it's unlike any tackle you would normally see uh, because it was the only option he had and he managed to compute it all in, you know, so quickly to sort of grab the guy's shorts and roll him over onto his back and out was the only way he was going to stop it, really, because if he... When a player's sliding along the floor, you can't really perform a conventional tackle anyway. Uh, So to have got there in the first place was extraordinary uh, for a back row forward who must have been exhausted uh, and to have had such clarity of thought and precision in the execution when he got there was uh, you know, worthy of saving the try Mike, if this was 21-44 <coughs> then, we, then we would know the answer to the next question is what would have happened if he hadn't made the, that, that tackle because we were at that point in the game where uh, Wales was starting to, to get a toehold in there uh, if they'd scored that try it would have gone up to 12-8 and then maybe 12-10 then we'd have seen England under real pressure rather than the slight cushion that they had until the 75th minute we'd have seen a different game in I felt England were in control of that game throughout. Al? I think it would have been closer, a lot closer. I think England probably would have just edged it. It would have been, it would have been fun when, when to see them under that pressure. When points it? are scored, dynamic of the, t- the game changes. And England, uh, for better or for worse, were always had, always had Wales at arm's length. They were more than a score ahead from the 20th minute. And they didn't have to. I mean, I know they should have finished Wales off but the bottom line is subconsciously they knew they didn't quite have to the sense of urgency was therefore perhaps lacking and I think it would have been reinstated had something happened like uh, Gareth Anscombe had been awarded his try or if Scott Williams had scored his Okay, Um, I would like to say I agree with you Mike I thought England did have control I think the uh, 9-10-12 were uh, they they were the cogs that, that, that ran the show and they put I mean, a lot of um, focus has been put on the fact that they kick so much better than Wales, um, but there's a reason for that, which is the Welsh kickers were put under so much pressure, and they were, when they were kicking, they, it was because they needed that was the only option going, or they were under pressure, or whatever, and they were needing to to, to clear their lines, etc. They didn't have the time to to dominate and run the game like that. Two things. First of all, uh, I think England's game is basically in good working order. I don't think they played very well on Saturday, but uh, I love the. Farrell, the Ford Farrell thing. I love the layers of attack that they uh, send into uh, opposition defences. I think they uh, were lacking in precision, discipline-wise and skill-wise, uh, which is why they kept turning the ball over. Uh, but it is also worth pointing out uh, Wales were missing so many players, um, and to have come as close as they did, and to have stopped England scoring after the 20th minute was a phenomenal uh, achievement for pretty inexperienced team. You're listening to The Ruck and we are back after this. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to The Ruck. And don't forget, you can sign up for the brand new Ruck email. Subscribers can go to thetimes.co.uk slash bulletins. Al, hot-footing it from Dublin. So, yep. we, 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 you know, a month out, we're all busy um, matching up England against Ireland, assuming that it, it it might happen, and it is getting closer, that, that sort of the double Grand Slam pe- uh, playoff um, at Twickenham. This was, um, this was uh, Neil Francis in the uh, Irish Independent um, this morning. Um, Neil Francis, former uh, Ireland lock and uh, now columnist for the newspaper. Uh, he said... Italy experience a nightmare that visits me from time to time. You all know it. It's the patient on the operating table and the surgeon begins to operate on you without any anaesthetic. This happened to Italy yesterday. They were awake and fully conscious and yet they couldn't move and couldn't do anything to prevent what was happening to them. They could see the doctors in surgical gowns. The scalpel appeared and the surgeon proceeded to remove their colon without any pain relief. (laughs) Interesting. You, You asked about England versus Ireland and almost predictably Sergio Parisi after the game the captain of Italy was asked well you've played you've played against England and you've played against Ireland now who do you think has the better chance who plays the yeah, better rugby yeah. and, uh, I heard some some Irish journalists suggest he may have been playing to the gallery when he suggested that <laughs> Ireland are playing the better rugby at the moment I suppose he's not really in a position to assess who's the better because Italy have taken a spanking off of both of them They've, Italy have conceded 15 tries in the last two games mm. 7 against England eight at the weekend against Ireland and Neil Francis has put it very colourfully but there were points certainly in the first half where Sergio Parisi must have been turning around going well how the hell did that happen they've just scored again it felt like Ireland could lay up after 50 minutes they took the halfbacks off they made a couple of substitutions at half time the, the they conceded three tries in the second half, but by that point the game was out. Mm. out yeah, of touch. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. So Ireland could actually afford to rest key players like Sexton and Murray. But the point, the point sort of works the way the way he he puts it in the, in that Ireland seem to be more clinical about the, the way they go about things, don't they? And yes, but against Italy, remember they didn't look yeah, like scoring I mean, a try against Paris, France. I was in Paris for that France game, and they did not. I mean, they threatened once off first phase in the first half. Uh, you know, I say threatened. I mean, they got to the twenty-two with a nice move, um, and they won a penalty there. But that was about the only time they forced France into conceding. You know, in that case. So, Mike, points. if you're reading the tea leaves, if you, if you're looking into the future again, and we're only going to go forward a month, yeah, that's who's <laughs> who's who's ahead out of England and Ireland at the moment? I, I think England looked imaginative in both games. Uh, Ireland didn't in the first, but. I don't think that really matters either. The, I think the way I think the most important thing is the nerve that Ireland showed uh, in that last five minutes, that extraordinary forty-one phase without making any mistakes and then nailing that drop goal. I mean that showed Absolutely. serious cojones, as I think they call it. 
Uh, England haven't quite been put in that position yet, and it'll be interesting to see if mm. they can respond in the same way. It's going to be a nervous week for fans of Ireland this week because they're going to have to wait and see how things pan out with Tag Furlong, who went off yeah. between three and four and minutes uh, in that in that game against Italy. One, you know, Italy's not a game where you'd expect a key player to go down so early. He looked like he was struggling with a hamstring injury. It's a case of wait and see how he goes. He is vital. For those big games, he's the one, probably one of the, uh, with the exception of Johnny Sexton, is probably the most important player that they would want playing against England in any decider. He's the one player in the Ireland team that you could, I think, you could say, uh, and you'd tough to argue that he's not the best player in the in his position in the world. Absolutely, and and it doesn't help as well that Robbie Henshaw, who scored the brace, uh, went off with his arm in a sling. Uh, he was meant to have a scan yesterday. Communication with with Ireland at the moment is hard to tell where he is uh, with that, but he could be another another big loss because he's really turning into a serious player for Ireland as well. So th- there's question marks over that, but I agree with Michael in that the nerve that they showed against France in a game that for a lot of people against other teams they would have not won that game. They've managed to eke out a win somewhere somehow, yeah. and then they opened up the throttles against Italy and managed to find scores. I, l- I love how you said England are, are looking more creative. One of my favourite moments of that game was watching Conor Murray jump in the line out and take a ball against Italy. It's something he's done a couple of times for months of the season. Mm. That actually led to two tries. Now, he, he popped the ball down and it hit one of his teammates in the face and it didn't actually lead to a try-scoring <laughs> opportunity. But I love moments of invention like that. That's one of those little things. Yeah, but are they say. not a bit gimmicky, that sort of thing? I mean, it's against Italy. Is he going to try that? Maybe he will. Maybe he will try that. Like, you know, in a, in a high, you know, we've, we've seen in game. big games little plays like that open up. I well, mean, or maybe maybe because Joe, Joe Schmidt is always three moves ahead, isn't he? So maybe he's done that in this game. So people will think he's when they put Conor Murray in the middle of the lineup for the England game in Twickenham, everyone's going to go. Oh, we've got to mark him, and then they'll throw it o- over the back. Anyway, from Dublin to Edinburgh, Mike, I, I, I wasn't really remotely convinced that, that Scotland were, was suddenly the Scotland we thought they were in the autumn. No, well, I mean, they've still got this extraordinary uh, flakiness about them, this lack of concentration. I mean, it's best exemplified, obviously, by Finn Russell, who, if any player embodies the team he's in, he's the guy. It is actually quite infuriating. They they remind me of Harlequins at their most annoying. I mean, constantly (laughs) trying to be brilliant. And we all love teams who try to be brilliant, because what would any sport be without brilliance but sometimes you, you can't be brilliant the whole time and you've just got to you know slow things down and be sensible occasionally and Finn Russell both games has just trying to work miracles every time he gets the ball and it just doesn't work and so when, when Finn Russell trouble. when Finn Russell lets his team down it um, doesn't put a put a, a penalty kick out or, or, or completely squiffs another one, or, or makes another just infuriating error. He, wh- I was w- watching him. He has he he smiles afterwards and laughs at himself. And I don't. Well, wh- what do you guys think of that? Because for me, the body language is, is not. It's a nervous thing. It doesn't look good, but it doesn't sell well to the rest of your teammates. I'd have thought. Okay, what I would say is, uh, after he went away on holiday in the summer after his, his flirtation with the Lions squad uh, I did a feature uh, interviewed him I phoned him up and he was he was on holiday in the Highlands of Scotland and he was one of, one of the Geography 6 he was one of the Geography 6 and one, one of the things he said to me was 
rugby's a game where as long as I have a smile on my face, everything's going to be okay. So I think I agree with you that it's a nervous thing. Uh, he'll have been annoyed with himself and he's trying to get over it. But also, that's just the way he plays rugby. You, people are going to have to get used to this. There's not. We've seen this for years with Danny Cipriani where everyone went, he's going to have to tighten things up and try and stop hmm. doing miracle things and carrying so flat to the game line. It's like, no, you're just going to have to accept the kind of player he is. You either work with it or you make provisions to make a decision now at the weekend Gregor Townsend did make provisions um, Greg Laidlaw after the game seemed a little bit surprised that he had had a run at fly half well apparently um, it, was, yeah, it was struck upon in the morning that yeah, very morning and it was something that they'd done a little bits and pieces with during the week but he threw Le Petit General in at 10 and let Laidlaw play at fly half and said right Finn it's time to go there's a lot of amounts of this, this is I'd say Scotland will be delighted to get the win. John Barclay's captain at some point. I don't know why he didn't say, "Can we get Stuart Hogg or Greg Laidlaw's kick to touch now, please?" <laughs> you know that would have probably mm. cut out that problem. And said Finn, calm down, just focus on your game. You don't worry about the set plays or anything like that. Let's just see what happens with you go. Looking to the future. Sorry to to, <laughs> to coin a hackney whole phrase on this podcast, but uh, Finn Russell at Racing next season. Um, I'm not sure that that's going to do him any good. He's going to be overplayed. He's not. He's not going to be looked after the way he is in Scotland at the moment. Um, I'm not sure that he's going in the right direction. Some mischievous folk have even suggested that it's the Rassing deal. It's a bit gone to his head a bit. I don't know if that's fair at all. Um, I'm not on the inside track okay. there. But if uh, you put if you put Laidlaw in, well, anyway, if you for me, even if you put him in at nine instead of Ali Price, but then you suddenly move him to ten, uh, are you then saying, <coughs> "Hello, this is practice pragmatism and the romanticism of the new Scotland game is just going to be part for a while while we try and win with something uh, well they, they have played with Laidlaw at 10-4 I mean it's not that long ago within the last two or three seasons um, I quite like him at 10 he's obviously being a scrum half got great distribution he can kick um, he's uh, sharp uh, creative uh, but he's just a bit more sensible and I know we should the romantics in us should always uh relish people like Finn Russell but the trouble is the pragmatists i.e. the international coaches cannot build a credible international team of substance around that because they have to have the other way to play here's the thing as well as we're talking about that as if that's what will decide potentially if that's what will shape the game against England Scotland's but now you have to accept that particularly with Finn Russell being as flaky as he is with the ball off his boot Greg Laidlaw has to play because he kicks yeah. points. Yeah. So Greg, if you say that Greg Lother has to play, then you go, is it that important whether he plays 9 or 10? Really, what has affected Scotland in the last two games is the fact that they do not have the rambunctious ball carriers to blast holes and create go forward so that they can distribute. That game against France was won purely because France were infringing so often at the breakdown. They put phrases together, it was fantastic. And the injection of David Denton in particular helped a lot in that he just said, I'm coming for you, I'm coming right at you and you've got to tackle me. Scotland have miss, missed that the week before, completely. And that is where the difference will be. Whether they have quick front football with the defence retreating to play with. Can you see that against England? That's the question. Yeah, but who's England's ball carriers? I mean, you know, without Big Billy, uh, they don't have an obvious punishing cutting edge uh, either. Uh, and yet, But they what they do have is generals who can throw a beautiful 20-yard pass off either hand, but also can just 
squeeze you until you know the pips burst. I wouldn't be surprised if Ben Tio is not back in to uh, do answer your question. Well, game. yeah, quite possibly, quite um, possibly. <clears throat> but it, it, around the, uh, they've got well, Joe Launchbury is actually probably their most affected ball carrier at the moment, isn't he? Um, yeah. It was sensational the weekend. Uh, I think they lost. They missed uh, Sam Simmons as well when he went off at half time. I mean, he's not a. You know, he's not going to scatter people, but he's so quick. It's and just he's another dimension. I'll keep saying this about Sam Simmons as well. He's got good feet for a big man. But it was interesting <laughs> to see Chris Robshaw packing down at number eight. That's something I can't remember seeing before. So he became a Whoa. seven and a half, didn't he, yeah. the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> that is the end of part one of the ruck. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow where we'll be talking about the future of the game. At that point, you will uh, there will be some clarification on, on why we are giggling and talking about the world in 2044. Part two of The Right will be available for download tomorrow. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.